good to see everybody. We'd like to welcome people at all of our campuses. So if you've been waiting at our campuses, we say hello on the other side of the camera. Hello, everyone. Welcome. Hey, before we dive in today, uh, there are two like uh, pretty significant uh, events and things I want to tell you about to get it on your radar because I think uh, each of them might be interesting and important to you. One, you know it's our 200th uh, anniversary. We're celebrating that all year long. We got to kind of always applaud whenever we talk about that because it's amazing that we're 200 years old. We have stuff kind of planned throughout the whole year. We have uh, a book that we're putting together, a bunch of, a bunch of stuff that uh, um, is going to be planned throughout the year. And you need to know, I want to direct you to a part of our website so you can start going there to get information and also because we need something from you. So let's put the website up there. It's mountain, mountaincc.org. That's our church website with a slash and then history. Because you, uh, you have a story of something that you could tell, like maybe what you could, you could answer this question, you know, what this church has meant to me. Or how maybe a way that it's impacted you or your family. Or a story of something that would be fun for you to share. We're going to try to collect all these. And there's a lot of ways we're going to share those a little bit later, okay? Maybe you've got a picture from a small group five years ago or 50 years ago. I don't know. But whatever you've got, pictures, videos that would be kind of fun for us to collect and celebrate a little bit later. We've got some ideas on how to do that. That's where you do it. Also, there's information there about some events that are coming up. Just a couple, for example. We've got a big event that we're planning Saturday, June 22 at Ripken Stadium. We got the whole thing rented out. It's a family fun field day. It's really great. So you've got to get that kind of stuff on your calendar. Also, the weekend of September 29. Mark that off, and you want to want to be around for that. We've got a lot of cool stuff planned this fall for that. Second thing I want to tell you about, other than the website, is um, we partner with Milligan University. We have for some time. It's a relatively small but really uh, great Christian university down in Tennessee. We partner with them for so many things. We get a lot of interns and residents from there. But um, they allow us to teach uh, courses for their university here at Mountain and make it available for anyone in the church and we get to sometimes just choose what class we're going to teach, which is what we're doing um, this spring semester. I'm teaching a class with some other staff. Just it's it's. I think we're calling it. Uh, what are we calling it? I'll go back to that title. I can't remember. Uh, it's called something about Mountain Christian Church. But really, it's our story. And um, you can take the class for audit or just for fun or for college credit. But if you are interested in leadership, you're interested in kind of what makes this church tick, you think it might be fun to hang out with some staff and me and some other leaders over the next few weeks to, um, to learn kind of the secret sauce behind Mountain, our history, but also just kind of how we do things around here. That, I have a hunch some are going to be like, oh, I wish I'd known about that. So that's why I'm telling you right now, but you got to get on the stick because we start tomorrow. So um, there you go. All right. Everybody with me so far? Are you ready to jump in? We ha we're in this series called More and Better to Come, celebrating our 200th year. And we're, we have this series that we're beginning with to kind of say, let's go behind the scenes and look at some of the godly principles, some of the values that are almost like the, the secret hidden DNA that make Mountain Mountain. Ways and reasons that I think God is able to bless this church. Let's unpack them one by one, and we're doing that week by week. Because it's important for us to, to not just learn from the past and the faithfulness of others who've gone before. That's important. We also want to be in this moment saying, God, what are you, what's the new thing you're wanting to do in my own life? What are the changes that you're calling on me to make? 
at this point in my life. And that's, that's what these uh, principles are allowing us to do. Now, last week was pretty cool. We, um, we talked about every one of us has been given gifts by God. We unpacked a parable that Jesus taught, and we sent everyone on a kingdom assignment. And then this happened. Check this out. If you were gone, you missed it. Here it is. Kingdom assignment is anytime you, you try to make your life count that way and serve someone in a way that matters to Jesus. This is a parable we're going to live out in a way that I don't think you'll soon forget. I'm gonna ask for some volunteers. I'm gonna ask for some people who are like, you know what? I think I'm ready for a kingdom assignment. Just like in the story, you guys have a master who's gonna send you on an assignment. All right, now you're gonna need something for this assignment. What I just handed each one of these people is two very brand new, crisp $100 bills. It's gonna be used in a very special kingdom assignment that God's gonna show each one of you. A kingdom assignment has three conditions, just like it did in the story Jesus told. Number one, it's God's money. Second, do something with it. Make it grow, invest it for stuff that God gets happy about. Number three, you're gonna come back and report to all of us in 90 days what happened, what's happening in you and in everyone else. That's the challenge. God's money, invest it, come back, dream dreams, let it grow, trust God, humble yourself, don't bury it. You ready? It was really fun. It was really fun last week across all of our campuses. Um, people stepped forward, and there are 130 people that we need to pray for over the next 90 days especially. But the big takeaway, of course, was that every single one of us who didn't receive some cash when they came to church is still sent on a kingdom assignment. So each of us should be thinking about, like, what's the thing for you over the next, like, three months that's a special way that maybe God's calling you to make a difference what is it? I think some of the coolest stories, I suspect, will come out of the rest of us, all right? So today is an important one. We're going to dive forward. You ready to move ahead? Okay, great. You and me. We're going to talk, you and me. Um, hey, I go Ravens. Um, uh, I, hear, I hear we have a game today, yeah? How many of you are kind of excited about the fact that the Ra you think the Ravens are the better team and are going to win? Let me just hear from you. Yeah? That was a slam dunk, wasn't it? Let me see if I can be more successful in dividing the room. Let's see. How many of you would say, I'm more of an extrovert? If you are, you're going to be having no problem raising your hand right now. Like, you're an extrovert. You are energized by people and, and all of that, right? If you're more of an introvert, you don't even want to raise your hand. You want to cover your face. But can I just see you? Who, who are the introverts? Yep. Yeah. How many night people? Like, you come alive in the evening hours. You feel like slapping those annoying morning people. Except that would involve getting out of bed, so you don't. How many of you are morning people like, oh, I'm so crisp and fresh and alive and let's get things done, but you are pretty boring after like 7.30? Yeah, okay. How many iPhone people? Yeah. How many Android people? Yeah. A lot of emotion for you types. Okay. How about, uh, how about country music lovers? Because yeah, buddy. Uh-huh. Yep, right. How many hate it because country music's an oxymoron? Yeah, a few of you. Oh, raise, raise your hand. NASCAR lovers, you love it. Know all the drivers' names. Yeah, a few of you. Yeah. How many of you hate it? Because why would you watch someone turn left for three hours? Yeah. 
Okay, how about let's go right for the jugular. How many of you would say, how many of you understand that dogs are man's best friend, they're loyal companions, they, and you know that cats are, are neurotic psychopaths bent on destruction, could care less about you, they're reclusive roommates who poop in a box. Yeah, okay, all right. Just to be fair, where are my cat people here? Where are I? Yeah, we're going to pray for all the cat Miss Paul, let's just pray for the cat people. Um, it didn't take a lot to divide the room, did it? I mean, it's pretty easy to do. We're, we're different. We're, we have lots of differences in so many different ways. And this is all in good fun, of course. But here's this, the sad thing is that as a country, as a nation, and really almost as a world, don't you feel like the differences that we are observing between people are becoming more and more a cause of deep division and animosity? We all feel it. Polarity and, and, and polarization. People are angry about the differences. It's not much fun at all, not really a laughing matter. We all feel it, don't we? Uh, it's more than dogs and cats. If we start talking about issues, people become instantly very, very passionate and condemning of others with opposing views. We talk about climate change or environmental issues. You know, talk about guns or, or immigration or Israel. Are they the good guys, the bad guys, or is it a mixed bag? And instantly we can have a lot of tension around that. And there's disdain sometimes for people in different generations. And that's not to mention politics. Wow. And here we are in an election year. And there, there's, there's all this tension and this entrenched kind of bunker mentality around where I, I, I live in my bunker. I don't come out of my bunker except maybe to shoot at someone else in another one. Recently, the Pew Research Center uh, surveyed a bunch of Americans, asking them to give words that came to their minds when describing America politics today. And uh, here's an infograph of those results, and there were lots of words that you might not be surprised to see, polarized, messy, chaos, corrupt, bad, but the number one answer, you know, 80% of the people had negative words to use, and the number one answer was divisive. And, it, and we feel it, don't we? Politics is just the, uh, one example. But it's like, we, it's like we've forgotten how to talk to people about anything. If we don't already kind of find you in my little bubble and you don't agree with all the algorithms that I agree with and we really don't even know how to, we just sort of shout sign, sound bites at each other. We've lost the concept of like civil discourse, haven't we? Like let's, we don't really talk about ideas or be around people that we disagree with. We just cluster together in these echo chambers created by the algorithms and the news channels we watch and everyone is so quick to be offended, right? You say something, it just... Oh my goodness, angry and shouting. It's like this toxic way of relating that we've all learned in this age of outrage that we live in anymore. And anyone who disagrees with me, I treat like an imbecile, not worthy of even breathing the same air. You make one comment on social media, you're just jumped on like crazy. It's a loss of respect. Now here's the, here's, that's just kind of the reality of it. Something's changed. It kind of changed during the pandemic. It got worse, didn't it? And the sad thing is that sometimes this starts to affect uh, Christian people and filtrates the church itself. And the truth is, we all have to admit, sometimes Christians have been among the worst offenders in some of the same divisive ugliness. Maybe you heard this year that one of the top news stories in the Christian world was that 
7,600 congregations from the United Methodist Church are, are putting a piece of duct tape over the word united and pulling out from their denomination. Just one of the latest examples of how Christians are like, nah, I'm not doing this with you anymore. I'm not faulting them for it. I'm just saying it's, it's part of the reality. And I think if we're honest, probably all of us would say to some degree, we feel a little bit of this in our own hearts. Like it's, it's, we're a little more mistrusting and a little, it's a little, we're a little quicker to maybe just be less tolerant of someone else. There's a deep, deep disunity that's at work. And if you've ever been a part of a marriage that didn't have unity or part of a family that was kind of torn at each other or a business or a, or a band that you were in or a dorm floor or a military regiment or a work group or a neighborhood or a cul-de-sac or an apartment building or doesn't matter. If you've ever been a part of something like that, it makes you long for what David in the Old Testament longed for when he said in Psalm 133 how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters can finally dwell together in unity, Right? You take the opposite of that, like how we've all experienced it, how bad and awful it is when you've got to be somewhere with a bunch of people that you just can't stand or get along with, and friction is high, disgust and disdain is high, feuding is there. It's like how bad and awful it is. It's just the worst. Let me show you a picture of a sign I saw the other day. It looked like this. Bad spellers of the world untie. I'm waiting for the slow people to get that. <laughs> you know, when you look at some of the divisions in the world today and even in the church and the splintered factions you find, it makes, it makes you feel like sometimes we can't even spell unity, right? Instead of uniting around the things that bind us together, in Christ with cords that are not supposed to be broken, we become unraveled and untied. And that's why one of the mantras that we have at Mountain that we want to talk about today is that unity really matters. Unity really, really matters. And of course, with everything, we, we, we start with Jesus on this. I mean, that's where this begins. So if you, in fact, if you look in your Bible, um, in John chapter 17, there's a unique uh, Thing we find there because it's like a chance for us to kind of peek over Jesus' shoulder as we get to kind of read his prayer diary. He's pouring out his heart in prayer to the Father when? When he is about to go to the cross. On the night that he was betrayed, he's praying and John records this beautiful prayer that Jesus prays. So on his deathbed, if you will, some of the last things that Jesus said seem to me they might be pretty important. And in this heartfelt prayer, Jesus prayed for himself in the first few verses before he faced the cross, but then he prayed for us. He prayed not just for the disciples he knew then. He specifically mentioned, I pray for the ones who will come later, for you and for me. And what did he say? In verse 11, John uh, of chapter 17, he says, Father, I pray that they may be what? One, as you and I are one, Father. Wow. He prayed for our unity so that the world might believe. Verse 22 and 23 says, he goes on to say, Father, I pray that they may be one as we are one. May they be brought to complete unity, complete unity 
To, why, why, why? To let the world know that you sent me. If they're so busy, divided, it'll never have credibility. It'll, this whole mission I'm about to die for won't work if they're just divided and acting like everybody else. I pray that they would be one. I don't know how tight Jesus and the Father were, but I get the feeling they were pretty tight, don't you? However tight they were is kind of the model, the template of how Jesus says we're to try to function together ourselves, that we would be as one as he is with the Father. So, so we don't get to decide what Christianity entails, y'all. You can be in or out. That's up to you. But if you're in, this is part of it. Unity really matters. It's the, we always begging Jesus to answer our prayers. Well, here's one prayer of his that he's asking us to answer. Unity really matters, and it's, it's, it's a hallmark of this church. It's something that we desperately care about. We're actually part of a non-denominational sort of movement of churches that, that aren't the denomination but are like, you know what? We are committed to this idea that, that we're, we don't want to be part of the denominations just dividing and creeds separating people and into camps and different kinds of, you know what? We're, let's, just, let's just, like, what name do you follow? Baptist, Methodist, Lutheran, Pespale? You know, you know what? Just, can we just be Christian? Like, let's call this place Mountain Christian. Like, what, what kind of Christian? I, the Jesus kind. That's all you need to be. Because there's so much ugliness going on. We need an example of what Jesus is praying about here. Jesus says, you know, be salt. you're the salt of the earth. You know, salt, when it goes into meat, it makes things better. It preserves things. I wonder, you know, are we making things better? When it comes to the disunity in a divided world are are you making things better so we have this teaching from jesus and then it's like carried all the way through the rest of the bible like the early church and all the letters and uh, uh, it's just everywhere i could show you a hundred examples are you okay if i bring on some bible today you okay if we talk about the bible yeah okay good let's let's talk about ephesians chapter four this is a uh, paul talking to his Ephesian friends, and they had some of their own issues, but here's what he has to say to them. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you, I'm, I'm, I'm begging you, to lead a life worthy of your calling. So you know, I, I just hope you can live up to what it means to follow Jesus. And so like, well, what's that going to look like? Well, he says, for you have been called by God. So if I'm going to live up to my calling, you want to live up to your calling and make your life worthy? How do you do it? What do I got to do? Well, it starts with just, well, be humble. Because Jesus, like Jesus was, and gentle, like Jesus was, and patient with each other, like Jesus was, making an allowance for each other's faults because of your love, like, like Jesus did. And then he says, make every effort, remember that phrase, to keep yourselves untied, I mean united, excuse me, binding yourselves together with peace, for there is one body and one spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. Man, there's a lot there. But let me just kind of go back and see if you can remember some of those phrases. What's he saying? He's saying, the church is one body, like we're many parts. You're different. You're a nose, you're a mouth, you're a foot, you're a uvula, okay? We all have different parts to play, but we're one body. Act like it. Walk worthily. 
How do you walk worthy? Well, be humble. Don't be so full of yourself that you think you're always right. Be gentle. Don't roll over people when you talk to them. And when you disappoint people, and when people disappoint you, and you're ready to untie from them, work hard. He says, work hard, like make every effort. This is not going to be easy to keep unity. It's not like you didn't disappoint Jesus a time or two and he didn't walk away from you. Unity, in other words, is, is not just feeling nice thoughts or thinking alike or having group hugs. It's going to take some work. That's why, frankly, Christians don't do it very often. It's going to take some work. It's easier to become untied than united. And he says, one spirit. Hey, if you're walking with the Spirit of God and I'm walking with the Spirit of God, guess what? We're going to walk together. It's going to be really easy. And one hope. In other words, we're all, go, we're all dreaming of the same thing. We all believe that through Jesus Christ we can live forever. Like one hope is talking about where we're all going to be together one day. So let's get it together here. And one Lord means, the word Lord means boss. We've got the same boss. We've got the same coach. We're on the same team, which means we win or lose together. Like Martin Luther King Jr. used to say, we've got to learn to live together as brothers and sisters or we will perish together as fools. One Lord, one faith. He's not saying like, oh, you, you believe the same things I believe. That's what Christians do. And we say, well, at the end of the day, I don't believe what you believe. And then we divide. One faith doesn't mean that. It's about where is your faith placed? In whom? In what? It's about Jesus. We have the same person we're placing our faith in. And one baptism, meaning We've all passed through the same waters because we all got in this thing the same way. You're a sinner like I'm a sinner, even ground at the foot of the cross, and you got into the same waters of baptism because you were a sinner who needed to be washed clean. One God, one Father, one Lord, one, you know, it's from beginning to end he's saying as best he can, the church is one and it doesn't make sense for us. It's the one Jesus prayed for. It doesn't make sense for us to act otherwise. But it's going to take some work. And that's how you walk worthily. And that's why at Mount we just want to take this so seriously. You know, in the Bible, we have all those one another passages. You heard of the one another's? Like there's that phrase one another is used like over a hundred times in the New Testament. And most of the time, about a third of the time, it has to do with unity. And the rest of the time, it's about things that contribute to unity. So that's why the Bible says over and over again, you want to be a Christian, you want to follow me, you bear one another's burdens, forgive one another, love one another, uh, be kind to one another. Listen to one another, accept one another, forgive one another, bear with one another, be at peace with one another, don't grumble against one another, be gentle with one another, bear with one another in love, be tender and kind-hearted, forgiving one another, don't repay evil uh, for evil with one another. Unity, see, it really matters to Jesus, and then it runs all the way through the New Testament. So now, uh, what I want to introduce to you is, is a kind of magic mantra that we use here at Mountain that was so, it's so good, you guys. You're going to love this. It should have been in the Bible. I don't know how it got left out. It's that good. But uh, before I tell it to you, uh, it's a biblical principle that's illustrated all the way through the Bible. And let me give you one good example of that, and then I'll give you the mantra. Okay, so you can take a look at a place like Romans 14. You okay if we talk about the Bible? Okay. Romans 14, you have these Christians. They have figured out how to come together and be a church together. 
and they've had a good degree of unity for a while, but then some of the previous past life stuff, like their commitments and backgrounds and ethnicity and religious practices before they became Christian, start surfacing again and they start having some disagreements. Sound familiar? Sound familiar? You had in this church, you, you had um, some Christians, and by the way, it's just a great passage because it's, it's, it's one to help us know how to, how to get along and navigate with Christians that you disagree with on some things. So what they had in this church is some Christians who were committed vegetarians, not for health reasons, but because a lot of the meat that was sold at the market was previously offered to some gods they didn't believe in like false gods at, at some other Roman temple, and they would come into the marketplace and have a stamp on it. It's like, hey, you can get a discount on this meat. It was already offered, you know, over there. And some of the Christians were like, we don't believe in any of those other gods. That's all superstitious stuff. We're free in Christ. I'm going to get cheaper meat. And others were like, I would never do that for Jesus. I mean, I, I would, I'm going to stay so far away from that. And their best of intentions, they said, I want touching that stuff because Jesus deserves better than that. I'm not going to eat some meat that's been in that kind of environment. And they really disagreed on this. And it was like, well, wait a second, who's right? Paul himself, who's inspired by God to write it, doesn't think it matters at all where the meat's been. But look at what he says. Romans chapter 14, verse 1. He says, no, just accept other believers who have, he calls them, weaker faith without passing judgment on them. Or arguing with them about what they think is right or wrong. It's just, just, but, but if we think something's right or wrong, aren't we supposed to stand up for the truth and help them see the truth? It's like, no, according to this, not always. If we could just learn this one principle, let each person decide in their own heart, Scripture says, guided by the Holy Spirit, and leave room for each other. Over in verse 3, he says, those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't. And those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do. Well, you're not a real Christian or you don't really love Jesus as much as I do. No, he says. God's accepted them. Who are you to condemn someone else's servants? In other words, we're your servants of God. Not, we're not, you know, you don't, you're, they don't report to you. You're not the moral police on everything here. Their own master, who God, is going to judge whether they stand or fall. And with the Lord's help, they will stand and receive his approval. He's saying, God's not nearly as worked up about some of this stuff as you seem to be. These are the things that are not at the very center. So quit picking on each other. Who nobody appointed you, the moral police and overseer on someone else. There was another problem in that early church, in that particular congregation. And that is that some of the the Christians in that church had come from the Jewish faith and they were deeply committed to the Jewish holidays that they'd grown up with and they thought, well, that's still really important for us to celebrate all that stuff. And some of them were not Jews at all and they were like, well, no, no, we don't think it's important at all. We, 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 when we came to Christ, we left all that behind. Don't lay your stuff on us. And the main point is, well, don't look down on each other if you disagree on these second-level things. Each individual is accountable to God. Over in verse 13, he summarizes the whole thing. Just says, can we just stop passing judgment and condemning each other? Let us aim for harmony. It's a, a word that comes out of the very creation account where we pray for shalom, peace, 
The first thing to be destroyed when sin entered the world was community fellowship and unity. No wonder it's one of the first things that Jesus goes about recreating, a new community based on unity, and he prays for it on the night before he dies so that we can aim for unity and make every effort. There it is again, the same phrase. Work hard at this to do whatever would lead to peace, same word, in the church and try to build each other up. It's just a lot here to take in, but it's pretty clear, isn't it? So now we're ready for the slogan, the mantra that I wanted to give you. It's really good. And what I'm about to share with you is this, this is the key to raising teenagers. It's the key to staying married, at least to the same person. That was a joke. It is, uh, it is a key to holding the band together, and it is a key for Christians in a world like ours. And here it is. I'll put it up here on the screen. You say it with me. You ready? Let's say it together. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, love. It's a slogan created by a a man with the wonderful name of Rupertus Meldinius, a 17th century guy who was watching Europe be torn apart in the Thirty Years' War, and there was a lot of religious tension around that. And he studied these principles from Jesus, and he came up with a phrase like this to say, this explains what Paul and Jesus are trying to get us to do, and here's what it means. It says that there, go back to that, if you would, please. Go back to the, the phrase. Here we go. It says that there are some things that are so important and central and foundational to who we are, fundamental to what we believe, that we've just got to be together on those things. Make sense? Everybody agrees with that part. They are of the essence of the faith. If you didn't have those few things, you wouldn't even have Christianity at all. They're essential. They're of the essence of the thing. That's easy. Okay. Here's where it gets a little trickier. It goes on to say, now let's be honest, there's a long list of other stuff. They they might be very important, but they're just like of a different level of importance. They may be worthwhile to study and important to go to the Bible and investigate and to, to come to our firm convictions about. To understand as much as we, as we can, but in them we allow a range of differences of opinion and even freedom and, and, and liberty, if you will, in these matters that are not at the absolute core. They're not on the entrance exam to heaven. And each person is guided by the Holy Spirit to discover for themselves like what is the best kind of music for the church to use or where exactly should we land on immigration or or what's the what is the place of women serving in the church or what is the how should a christian drink alcohol and if so how much is uh, is right or what about guns or speaking in tongues or how should we practice communion or what to wear to church or conduct a church service or a bunch of other social and political stuff that we can all disagree on all you want But we are not held together by us agreeing on every last detail of every single thing. No, in these matters, we have freedom. Why? Because our unity comes around this. And that, my friends, is a short list. It's very short, and it centers around Jesus Christ, who he is and what he did for us. That we can agree on, and that's the key to unity. 
Now, here's how, here's how you figure it out. Let's say you and I disagree on some big issue, like a war, Christ, the Christian in war, and you study your Bible, and I study mine, and we come to a different opinion, and you're like really convinced, and I'm really convinced, and we don't agree on this. Here's how you find out. We both get to heaven, and that's when you discover that I was right. Okay, now think about it. If we both go to heaven to figure out who's right, then we shouldn't be splitting up about it down here. Am I right? Because that just proves it was a non-essential. A list of essentials is a short list. There are plenty of God-fearing, really smart, Bible-loving, Jesus-following Christians who love God as much as you do who disagree with you on some things. So when you come across an issue like that, the question is not who's right and who's wrong. The question is which category does it belong in? Is it one of these or is it one of these? And some of us have a real habit of taking whatever issue we particularly as our pet little one that we feel passionate about and saying, well, that's essential. But most of them are not. Your opinion matters. You can back it up with study of Scripture, but just understand it's not the dividing line of all Christians everywhere. We don't have to separate every time we disagree. We do have a quote that we sometimes like to share. It goes like this. Around here, we're not trying to get everyone to agree on everything, not every little detail. As much as we're trying to create an environment and an understanding where, where our disagreements don't automatically have to become a cause of disunity. See, there's a big difference. Why? Because we've got a job to do. Hello? We've got a big job to do. And if we're fighting with each other, we're, we can't do the job. If we think the battle that we're trying to fight is with other Christians or unbelievers, it's like that's not where the battle is pitched. We have an enemy, and it's not each other. We have an enemy, and it's not unbelievers. We have an enemy who is a source of division. Do you realize this? Division is not of God. It's of the devil. So let me ask, whose side are you on? It's that simple. When you and I backbite, devour, gossip, spread rumors, or say nasty things about other Christians or other churches, if we, if we are so attached and enmeshed and connected to our political party and our ideology that goes with that and our worldview around that, that we will take that as our primary allegiance, our highest loyalty, and attack anyone on the other side of the aisle, even if they're in the same house of worship then that proves that we don't really get it. When we participate in division, we're just being pawns. We're being used in the hands of the one who's trying to undo everything that God came to do. But I'm standing for truth. Listen, if your truth is not rooted in God's love, it's not God's truth. Friends, we've been given a job, and that is to, to get this mission. We've got to help broken people find broken people we we uh, to heal broken people we've got to be able to keep the main thing the main thing we can't do any of that it, it, the world will never be one w-o-n if we can't figure out a way to be one o-n-e there's a whole lot at stake and if you've ever had a friend who didn't want anything to do with jesus or the church because they just couldn't stand being a part of some kind of family squabble they didn't care about then you'll understand why this means something. While I'm at it, would you mind if I went on a little rant? You're like, well, what do you think you've been doing, Ben? <laughs> Listen, here's what I think. I think that we have too often confused unity with 
uniformity. And that's why some people aren't really excited about joining a church because they think, well, everyone's just the same there. Or Christians actually think it's the goal to sort of make everyone the same. Like if you're going to be a real Christian around here, you've got to sort of think and act and walk and talk and smell and part your hair and vote and feel like everyone else. Get in line. That's not the way Jesus' church is set up at all. And in that kind of church, we just end up perpetuating the same sociological and political and ideological divisions that we find everywhere else. We're not a unique community at all, if that's all we are. What we need is unity, and real unity can handle diversity. In fact, diversity, before it got kind of co-opted and turned into a word that some of us cringe at, was a really good word in the, in the early church. You know what? Unity can handle diversity just fine. In fact, if you don't have some diversity, some differences, you don't have unity at all. You've just got sameness, uniformity, or conformity. That's not what Jesus prayed for. He didn't say, Father, I pray that they would all be the same. No, no, no. He made us different. He made us different parts of a body on purpose. And we all contribute together. And it's only in the diversity kind of working together in unity that we have power to be the body of Christ. When Jesus came and called his disciples, look how he did that. Look at who he picked. He picked one guy who works with his hands. He's a fisherman. You know, he smells like fish. And another guy over here is pushing a pencil, you know, working numbers, white collar, blue collar, like, hey, why don't you guys come and hang out together? He picked one guy, says, be one of his 12 disciples. He says, Simon, the zealot, why don't you follow me? You know what a zealot was? It's like a terrorist, like a Roman terrorist. Like, like I, I, I want to just kill every Roman I see. And it's like, hey, Matthew, you work for the Roman government, right? Why don't you guys be roommates together on our road trips? That'll be a lot of fun. He picked a Biden supporter and a Trump supporter and said, follow me. It's about me. And until we learn that the Jesus at the center of this community is the thing that draws us together rather than the way we tend to think, of the world tells us to think, well, then we don't really have much to offer. If the power of Jesus is not strong enough to crash down the dividing wall of hostility, as Ephesians 2 says, and to really... Draw people together, not because we think alike, act alike, look alike, or the same ethnicity or whatever. It, it, until it can do that, it's not really a powerful gospel at all. So we've got to learn, especially in an election year. You know what? Jesus' people have never really been held together just because of their politics or something like that. And we can't let those things drive us apart either. And while we're on politics, you know what? You do know that no political party has a corner on all of God's truth, right? God's not a Republican or a Democrat, all right? If, he agrees, if God agrees with all your politics, your God's too small, and you need a little wake-up call. We're not brought together because we agree on that kind of stuff, Whether we, you know, what we think about all this. We're brought together because of Jesus Christ, and we've got to maybe find a way to be the one place, the one place where we can just demonstrate that to a watching world. Galatians 3.28 puts it this way, there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all, there's the word, one in Christ Jesus. So 
is talking about ethnic, socioeconomic, gender, class, all in that one verse. It doesn't mean we don't have differences or that they don't exist. Of course they do. It just means we can't let those differences divide us or be the reason that we're called together. And I think since the pandemic, I've seen a lot of Christians just shift around. And I thought we were brought together around Jesus, but I discovered that some people care more about what you say about masks or vaccinations than they do about Jesus. I'm just saying it how it is, y'all. And we got to decide, does unity really matter? Or does homogenization, like let's just stick in our little cluster. But one of the beautiful and hard things about the church is that you're thrown together with people you'd have nothing to do with otherwise. You can hate that or you can embrace that. Jesus seems to think that somehow we're better. And, Roman, and Revelation chapter 7 says, just a little sneak peek, if you're really into the Jesus thing, one day we're all together. Every tongue and tribe and nation surrounding the throne of Jesus together. That's what we're supposed to look like. And we pray, may it become so on earth as it is in heaven. So these are some of the things that are in our minds and hearts as we try to wrestle with this principle of unity really mattering. Can I just leave with you then a couple of maybe practical principles? Just, I mean, we could give a hundred maybe, but let's just talk about two. First one has to do with humility. Number one, I would just say humbly accept the fact that there are smart, godly Christians who disagree with you on some things. Can we accept that? Unless you're prepared to say that you have a corner on all wisdom and all knowledge and all truth. No, you, what, you, what you can say instead is, I've done my homework. I'm really convicted about some things. I know what the essentials are. And on these non-essentials, I've got strong things to say. But at the same time, I'm going to be humble enough to say, I recognize there might be some people who disagree with me. And I'm not going to just render them idiots. I've got good reasons for believing what I do. And I'm humble enough to say, maybe they do too. And if I'm smart, I might listen and try to figure out what it is. Second thing we could say is, we just need to focus on being kind and civil, you know? You're not really free to just go be a jerk if you're going to follow Christ. We've got to learn to criticize ideas and stop attacking people. We used to say, oh, that's a really, I, I, I hear what you're saying, but I disagree with you and here's why. Now we say, I don't disagree with your idea, I just say you're an imbecile. What an idiot. We attack the person. And friends, let's think about this. As Christians, we've got a lot of disagreement with what's going on in society. There's two ways we can do it. One, we can join in the fray the way everyone else seems to and just call everyone we disagree with idiots unless we realize that that's the very people that we've been called to love toward Jesus, in which case it might not be the best strategy. Maybe instead what we can do is be kind and civil and engage with ideas, disagree vehemently, but do so in a way that elevates Kindness, civility, and also just at the end of the day is going to be willing to shut our mouths and just let our lives speak because at the end of the day, that's what draws people to Jesus. So be kind. I respectfully disagree with your viewpoint. Here's why. Because it's not just what you say, it's how you say it that matters. Isn't that true? Yeah. If the way you talk about things or to people... Make someone say, I don't want anything to do with whatever, whatever, part they're, whatever group they're a part of. We're, we're doing it wrong. So be humble. Don't act like a jerk. 
And remember, as Henry Drummond says, the greatest thing a person can do for their Heavenly Father is to be kind to some of his other children. In all things, love. In all things, love. We've got to learn to disagree politically, to disagree ideologically, and still love unconditionally. And there it is. All things, love. You know, the other day I read that Belgian draft horse can pull 8,000 pounds. That's a lot of weight. What do you suppose two Belgian draft horses yoked up together can pull? Well, you say, well, if one Belgian draft horse can pull 8,000 pounds, it seems reasonable to think that maybe two could pull, what, like 16,000 pounds? And the answer is nope. Two Belgian draft horses can pull 32,000 pounds. It's one of those great examples of what God has built into the universe, the mystery of synergy and how we're better together. And this is probably was at Jesus' mind when he said we've got to be united so the world will know because we've got a lot of weight to pull and we can only do so much on our own. And together, you and me, with other believers around the world, and in our community, we, we've got to pull our weight together. So let's just leave you with this. Like, I'm going to ask you to shout your name out in a minute. And your name stands for all the things you think are important. It also represents all the things we could probably find to disagree about. Your politics, your background, your history, your heritage, your opinion about Taylor Swift coming to town today. You've got all kinds of opinions about everything. And when you shout your name, that is going to be represented in your name. Are you ready? I mean it with some gusto now. I need some attitude here because you matter. Your opinion counts. Your thoughts and feelings count. Are you ready? On the count of three, your name out loud. All campuses. Ready? One, two, three. Ben. Okay, that was very messy. What's better is when the Belgian draft forces get together and they realize that they can shout together and live together under the one name that is above all names. The knee shall bow before this name. The tongue will confess this name. It's the name that has given us one faith, one hope, one Lord, one baptism, one God and Father of us all. And at the count of three, could we say that name together? One, two, three, Jesus. It's so much more beautiful when we dwell together in unity. God, we pray that you'll give us the courage to make every effort Today, in our families, in our workplaces, and in the coming weeks and months, we're under no illusion this will be easy, so help us to make every effort to demonstrate an answer to Jesus' prayer that unity really matters. We pray it in the name of Jesus and all God's people said in unison. Amen. Amen. Yeah.